Content warning. This episode of Out on Her Fanny discusses bullying and mental health. We also discuss a joke from the episode of The Nanny that could be interpreted as homophobic. Hello and welcome to Out on Her Fanny. A podcast about the nanny. I'm Ben. I'm Mandy. And this is a podcast in which we watch the 90s sitcom The Nanny. Yes, and we learn that sometimes bullying is right. It's right to bully. You know what? Tumblr was right. Bullying does yield positive results. Yeah, bullying is right and good. Uh, That's apparently what this episode is about. Yeah. So thank you for listening to this week's episode (laughs) of Out on Her Fanny. Um... I, I kind of, I don't know, my gut feeling on this one is that we're going to plow through this episode very quickly because it's a very simple A to B to C narrative. Yeah. So the episode that we watched is season two, episode two, The Playwright, unless... Unless. Unless uh, you are watching on HBO Max. And if you're watching on HBO Max, then you are time traveling back into season one. Yeah, HBO Max has a weird uh, episode order, which we think might be production order. And actually kind of looking at this episode, it does look like a season one episode, not a season two episode. Yeah, it looks a bit like a season one. And it is listed as season one, episode 23. Yeah. Uh, But it did air during season two. It actually aired on my second birthday. Yeah, you were a two-year-old baby. Yeah, I turned two. And uh, they celebrated with uh, bullying is correct, in which I guess uh, <laughs> people learn and be like, "Oh yeah, so we'll use this on Mandy." Yeah, this was this was very uh, a very important piece of media for you on your second birthday. All of these ideas and visuals and Fran Drescher swirling around, being beamed into your tiny baby brain. There was no way in hell my parents were watching the nanny on. My second birthday, or really any time during my childhood. <laughs> no, but we also don't know whether or not babies can pick up TV signals in their soft, malleable brains. Oh, so I'm just getting it? You were just getting it, yeah. Uh, like, all all the little, like, curly cues were working as, like, antenna. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. What were, what were you doing September 19th, 1994? My lawyer says I don't have to tell you the answer to that question. But you do. Uh, shit. Um... I was eight. It had been about six months after my own eighth birthday, um, which we had at a laser tag place. My dad was the manager of this laser tag place. So we got the birthday party package on the cheap. So I was probably depressed. I was probably a depressed <laughs> child at this point. it was not your birthday. This is the... Eight, eight years old is the age where I realized there is no God... And I'm just sad all the time. And maybe I just deserve to be sad all the time. So that was like when I became aware. I obviously did not know the word depression. But I guess that's when I became aware of being depressed. Mm -hmm. And also that religion was bullshit, I guess. Like eight years old. Eight year old Benjamin lived in a very multicultural town. Lots of of people from diverse backgrounds, different ethnicities, different religious uh, backgrounds. And the logic that eight year old Ben came to was that they can't all be right. Therefore, they must all be wrong. Now, obviously, I've got a little bit more nuance now, but at the time, that was the the, the space that I landed on. I'm going to be honest here, folks. Um, I thought you were just going to tell me what, what fun video game was popular in the fall of 1994. I did not know that it would get this sad. <laughs> I am very sorry. Uh, what was... I mean, I mean, 94... No, it can't be saved. It can, we'll never find out. We'll we never might have know. gotten our there first no, Super Nintendo. There were no, that there were no video games popular uh, in late summer, early fall of 1994, and that's why Penn got depression because there weren't any. <laughs> the donkey didn't Kong that day. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I think, the year we got our Super Nintendo for Christmas. Well, that's that hadn't happened yet. Then. Hadn't happened. Yet. I did get a Game Boy for my birthday, my eighth birthday. We went to Pizza Hut. Which I was just talking about on Twitter, about how going to Pizza Hut in the UK was, and still is, something of a magical experience. Like a Pizza Hut pizza is a very specific thing. And I know from speaking to you, from talking to people on Twitter, that that was very much how it was in the 90s in in the US. But that gradually over a period of the last 20, 25 years, Pizza Hut have made 
changes to the product to try to cut costs and there's been a reduction in quality and now they're basically using like wall insulation for their dough yeah and it's also just the you talk a lot about a dine-in pizza hut yeah which i definitely remember and there was like a period like it was a period of time we would go in particularly if you like had the book club and you wrote a book and you got a personal pan pizza Mm. then there was a period of time like i had i would always get a fucking stack of those my parents were like we're not going anymore (laughs) <laughs> we'll buy you a regular ass pizza. <laughs> but then they didn't buy me a regular pizza. Oh, so either. they lied? Your parents yeah. lied to you? Oh, yeah, on. they lied. But then they just stopped going. And now you can't even really find a Pizza Hut that is a dine-in. There's, there, there was one in my hometown. It moved to a 10-minute walk away from my childhood home. And there, inside of me, preteen Benjamin is so angry that that Pizza Hut is now right there. Right there. Right by the PC world. Across the <laughs> road. PC world. Across the road from the curries. Like, it pisses me off. Because that I didn't have that. That's a, that is a privilege I did not have as a child. To be within walking, walking distance of a big, what is now a two-floor, dine-in Pizza Hut. My pop-up lived near a Pizza Hut... And we walked over the pizza one time so we could each get a Pizzone, because that was when the Pizzones came out. We never had those. The Pizzone? We never had the Pizzones. You never got a Pizzone? Never got a Pizzone. Oh, that's why you have depression. That's why I have, that's it. That's the cause of the depression. You didn't have a branded calzone that they called a Pizzone. My favorite thing, going to the Pizza Hut that used to be in Luton Town Center near, near uh, the University of Luton, next door, I think, to the Games Workshop store, and we'd go in... And we'd get appetizers, we'd get nachos, and I would eat the nachos with the jalapenos. That's how the staff there would pronounce it. They were wrong. We were English. It's okay. Mispronouncing words is our golf, or jolf, if you will. And then the pizza would come out. Oh, a fresh-baked in-house Pizza Hut pizza is a thing of beauty. It was then. And, And I'm told, reliably by friends in the UK, that it still is now. But in America... The crust of a Pizza Hut pizza is germ warfare. You are paying someone to bring poison to you. Yeah, it's not good. No. And I don't I don't know that I would trust the English to make me a pizza. Next time we go back, I'm taking you to a Pizza Express. Pizza Express is very, very good. Because th- like, I know that there are some places where like the quality of something is better, that mm. is like, infinitely better in another country than it is in the US. I don't. I don't believe that Pizza Hut is one of them. <laughs> I just think that your friends in the UK talking about the delicious warmth of Pizza Hut pizza, I think they just don't have taste. <laughs> I mean, that's listen, I'm not going to say that's not true. Luton is not known for its taste. But what I will say is Pizza Express is very good. I've had Pizza Express in a number of different towns. The Pizza Express in my hometown in England, if it's still there, the building it's in is a former Masonic Lodge. So you go in and there's like beautiful ceilings and and you go in and you're ordering a meat lovers with um, buttery dough balls. Anyway, uh, a pizza, a place that has good pizza is New York, which is the setting of this show (laughs) that we watch. Why don't we talk about the show? Did you take a special class on how to segue and how to like seg from one topic to another on a podcast? Because that was seamless. (laughs) I can't find any edges. No there's edges. no edges, there's no overlapping fabrics. It's like it's all one one piece. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, fabrics is like it's like a bed sheets. Like I would want to go to bed and I'd like to go to bed after we do this podcast. <laughs> so let's talk about this podcast. You are getting your money's worth out of that course. <laughs> So this episode opens with Brighton and some girl who looks... What was the name of the girl with the big glasses in Recess? Uh, she looks like her. She's got it the... It looks like her, but she's not... Gretchen. Gretchen. She's yes. not tall. She's but not she tall. Just, like, it very much is they took a kid and put glasses on her. Yeah. And put... And not just she's in pigtails, but like they're very tightly braided, so that, yeah. like they're not attract. Like it's very much you took an attract, like a cute kid, but then put bag ass on. But it still works. Like oh, I fucking looked like this kid growing up. <laughs> of just like just not knowing what is aesthetically tasteful. Yeah. Anyway, so Fran and 
Niles are also doing laundry, and I, laundry. I want to give a special nod to finding out that uh, apparently Niles wears some zebra stripe panties. Niles gets his underwear from the same place that the cat from Red Dwarf gets his coats. Though I guess, I'm not sure whether the implication is supposed to be that he's wearing the panties or that like he had sex with a woman and those are her panties. Yeah, because he doesn't explicitly say those are mine. Fran holds them up and says, Ooh, hi, Mr. Sheffield. And then he says, Guess again. And I don't, I don't know whether it wants us to assume that like, oh, the sexual partner is wearing, is wearing these or... Uh, he is wearing these. Either way, fun times. Yeah, I, now all I can think about is Niles' stripy penis. <laughs> stripy penis? It's a stripy penis. Does it, is it like, does it stain it? Why is it stripy? Because the fabric is going to be wrapped around his, his, his beepus and he's going to But not it. just around the, it goes, he puts his legs through it. Do you not know how you put on underpants? I'm not having this conversation with you again. Is this why you, you have so many holes in your underpants? So something happened the other night, and I do have to share this because it's a little embarrassing, but I also think it's funny. I'm in bed on my phone. I, I will say I wasn't wearing a tr- like I was not overburdened with clothing. Uh, I was not naked, but I was wearing boxers. And Mandy Box comes of briefs. in boxer briefs. And Mandy comes in, and the first thing she says is, "You've got a ball out." <laughs> Yeah, your ball was out. Well, pa- apparently, I just had a ball, it was singular. Just one, just poking out. But the way you said it, it's like you were shocked to see it. <laughs> yeah. You were surprised. It's like, yeah, that's typically where I keep them. Like, I would have been less shocked if you had just... I mean, we live together. I've seen you naked. You're frequently just on, on the bed naked. But it is so much worse when you're wearing underpants and there is just a ball Just a out. single, like, bloop, there it is. Yeah. How is that bad? Because You it's, know they're there. But they're supposed to... They know their place. There's a containment breach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's like when the cat gets on the dresser, like, you shouldn't be be there. there. No. I don't like seeing you there. That's how he woke us up this morning. You're very distressing being there. So what I am now picturing is Niles in bed in his stripy Y-fronts. Which is a ball out. With just a ball out. Reading Butler Monthly or whatever it is that he reads. Oh. Because he didn't have a smartphone. No. Because it was the 90s. My ball. Your ball. Anyway, uh, so underpants, balls. There are (laughs) children in the room. Brighton and the kid whose name I do not recall. I'm just going to call her Gretchen. I cannot remember her name. Brighton and Gretchen, uh, they're apparently science partners. And she is kind of making hints about like, oh, we got to dance this weekend. What are you pl- who are you planning on taking to the dance? And Brian's like, yeah, I got a couple of irons in the fire, put out a few feelers. And she's like, great, I don't have plans either. I was just going to go alone unless somebody wanted to ask me. And Brian's like, it ain't going to be me. And then uh, Fran just glares at, it, at him. The, the, the young girl is dropping some very obvious hints. And Brighton is not ignorant to these hints but is choosing to ignore them and when Gretchen leaves the room uh, because she's clearly been emotionally compromised by the fact that Brighton is not immediately asking her out to the dance Fran gives Brighton a stern talking to and says look you can't just say no this young girl clearly wants to go to the dance with you just just take her like it's no skin off of your nose yeah and doing us of like it would hurt her feelings not to go with her and that can be like a harmful thing she's young just just go just go with her yeah brighton does eventually decide he's going to ask her not because he thinks he wants to do the right thing and friend does make a point of uh you know do what you want to do it's not my place to judge you that's god's job um, Which uh, uh, Brian might have made the same uh, realization that eight-year-old Ben did, that there is no God. There is no God. But what there is is a teacher who will give him an A if he passes science. If I don't ask her the dance, she might get upset. And Look, it's mathematic A in science. Well, as long as his heart's in the right place. <laughs> the next scene is at Brighton School. Yes, he's talking to a couple of his friends. Yeah, and they're asking who's taking on the date and be like, oh yeah, I got something planned. And that's when Fran comes in, because apparently she has to take uh, Brighton to the orthodontist, mm-hmm. to which the kids assume that that is who Brighton is talking about. Whoa, Sheffield, way to go. No, she's the nanny, but you know, she wants me. <laughs> 
wants me to go to the orthodontist. Mm -hmm. Come on. And then Gretchen, the yes. girl, she comes, and the two boys are, they're making retching noises, and it's, it is clear that she is like the punching bag yeah. of this class, and they are like loudly mocking her. But she is taking it in stride, and she is asking Brighton uh, about their plans for Saturday and whether her dad should be the one to take them. And then the kids overhear and then realize that that is who Brighton is taking to the dance. Brighton's embarrassed by this, and then basically tries to gaslight Gretchen into, I never asked you out, that whatever meds you're on don't operate heavy machinery. And she runs off crying because Brighton's too embarrassed to acknowledge that he asked her out in front of these quote-unquote friends who were just bullying her. And I want to say, there's something about the writing here that makes me feel like this was written by bullies, because every bully, when they're doing things like this, thinks that they are being clever and funny, and that they are doing it in a subtle way that is not being picked up on by their target. And the target says nothing, does nothing. The idea of her, like, taking it in her stride, I think that is the writer saying, well, she doesn't notice this is happening. Mm -hmm. And that is bully writing. Yeah. That is a bully writing a bully. Because bullies think they are a lot smarter than they actually are. Yeah, like, this... Uh, you find, like, two different uh, variations on, like, the types of bullies in media. Yeah. One of them is, like, it's someone who they struggle at home, so they take it out on other people, and they're and hurt people hurt people. And then there's what it actually is and what this one is like, oh, they're just people who suck and because it's the thing to do and it is a group activity to kind of like form this hierarchy and just make sure that you are not on the bottom of this. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of what the situation is of just here is the lesser person and of like, of course, we're going to mock her because she gets very upset. And then the scene that we have after that is in a cab yeah. and Fran is uh getting mad at Brighton for for what he did and like you you have caused her some like irreparable damage and this was like a horrible thing that you did to her why did you do that to her and when uh, so when they get in the cab and we see uh the scene they do pause and make sure that you see who the cab driver is. Yes, and who is it? It is our guest actor, Richard Kind. Audiences may be familiar with from uh, his recurring role on Spin City. He was a, a recurring character in Scrubs. He uh, is a voice actor these days. He He's in Big Mouth, and he voiced the Duplers in Star Trek Lower Decks. Oh, no! I duplicated! This is so embarrassing! This is this is a an actor that you would immediately recognize, a voice that you would immediately recognize. Mm -hmm. The whole time that Fran is giving this whole spiel about, like, how horrible this thing that you did to her, the cab driver is kind of butting in. Your behavior could scar that little girl for the rest of her life. And you should know, hypocrite. And it finally gets to a point where, like, Fran is, you know, it's like, you're not part of this. Why are yeah. you butting into this? And he introduced himself, and apparently this is someone that Fran went to high school with. Do we remember his name? It was like Richard. I remember his last name was Needleman. Needleman. Which is, that is a character yeah. name of guy that you needle. <laughs> yes. Um, he brings up like, oh yeah, I had a horrible time in high school because you and everybody else bullied me. And that is when Fran is like on the other heel of like, no, that was just the, the thing that everyone did. Yeah. Of every, like everyone mocks this person. And that is... More like what happens yeah. in high school. This is more bullies writing bullies because, oh, well, everyone did it. And I get that there is an element of that in mm -hmm. school, but, like, that's the justification that a lot of people who bullied and haven't, like, come to terms with why they did that, that's how they justify it to themselves in the adulthood. Well, everyone was doing it. It's fine. It builds character. Like, that's kind of what it felt like. There's a, a lot of the conversation around bullying in this episode made me uncomfortable. Um, not to say I didn't enjoy it. That's how that felt to me with this this dialogue. Yeah, it felt like a lot of justification. It felt a lot like, and this is what the rest of the episode is, where I'm like, oh, well, the person being bullied deserves it. Yeah. Uh, that is kind of the the running theme, um, as we will see, because then the guy uh, is talking more about him, and he's clearly meant to be a, pathet like, a pathetic guy that we're supposed to think is a loser. I think, aside from the actual words he's been given, there is something to Richard Kind's performance in the taxi, where I think there's actually a certain amount of, like, charming confidence to him. Like, I think at the beginning, like, 
firstly, intruding on someone else's conversation takes a certain amount of confidence or just bitterness. But like, also the, there's something about his demeanor towards the end where he's talking about, talking to Fran about, well, you know, you said we go on a date someday. Like nothing about it felt like a typical Richard Kind performance. Richard Kind. Oh, it felt oh so much like a tick because it's that it's the it is the going what they named him Needleman of like yeah. someone who's needling and whiny and like mm. overly persistent. Like they like he plays these very annoying characters. Mm. Like his character in Scrubs was someone who was a he would play the hypochondriac. Yeah, he played the hypochondriac. He played the yeah. hypochondriac, and it's kind of the same thing of just like this somewhat weaselly guy who like he's constantly going to nag you for a thing. Oh, but I'm not I'm not fighting for I'm just but it isn't a near irritating persistent thing and like butting in and then spending all this time making sure everyone feels sad for him and talking about like oh what did you do after high school I was like i was in shock therapy and just yeah his persistence does not read as a confidence it reads as a like to me it read as like oh here's the guy being further annoying to show why he was bullied right there's also this whole belief that the person being bullied like oh yeah we just want we just want to go on a date with the person bullying us and constantly constantly torturing us mm. all we want to do is go on a date with them like so in middle school i got fake assed out i got a bunch of people was like oh yeah this guy had a crush on you no i tell you i don't remember this kid's name i do know he was ugly as f- like i had cystic acne but he had some real bad cystic acne but he was well. I was not popular. He was popular. Did not really like him, but it's like, oh, somebody likes me. I should go. And they're like, oh, yeah, go. You have to go on a lunch table and we'll sit together. And then everyone's laughing. And I'm thinking it's the thing of like, oh, because he has a crush on me and is doing these things. It is because everyone is laughing at the fact that I think that someone has a crush on me. And I'm like, oh, I'm trying to date him. And then it's so much worse. I'm like, this guy fucking sucks. <laughs> this guy, and then he was like, ha ha, you like this guy and he doesn't like you. But like, I didn't like him. Oh, like, it was that frustrating. Like, that's the thing that I feel. But that's mm. because it's bullies writing bullies. They will never have that yeah. version of the events. But that is the thing that I kind of, I like, I see yeah. that with the girl. I don't see what that, with the guy, I see that still as the, the idea that like, Oh, the the bullied kid, all they want to do is date the hot girl. Yeah. Even though she was a total bitch. But anyway, so yeah, at the at the end of it, uh, he brings up that Fran had said that she was gonna go out with him sometime. And he brings up, well then why not now? You know, I remember you saying that you'd go out with me that Sunday. I said someday. <laughs> Someday, and that was only because he was standing out on a ledge. Is it someday yet? Brighton is hearing this and is kind of like digging. It was like, oh, well, you're free on Saturday, aren't you? Yeah. And just totally gets her. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, Brighton repeats some of the things that Fran has said to him about why he should ask out Gretchen to the extent where he says, you're right, it's not my place. God will punish you. Again, I feel like the quote-unquote confidence that you're feeling from Richard Kind's character is the him being written in a way that we're supposed to think things are annoying. Because it is very mm. annoying to be in a situation where I can't say no to it. Like, that's also yeah. a situation that I've been in. got a captive audience. It's awful. A lot yeah. of like, oh yeah, well I know you're free this day, so why won't you go on a date with me? Like, yeah, that's the Because worst. I don't like you. Yeah. So that is, that is the place where the bully's writing is, oh, because it's right to bully this kind of person yeah. because this is the shit that they mm-hmm. do. But she agrees to go on a date with him uh, because of the mounting pressure from all sides, from the person who is literally driving her and the child that she is responsible for, from the child that she's, uh, I guess, has to prove a point to, who's trying to encourage her, like, well, you're making me do this thing, so you should do this thing too. Um, Because she's not... She's not teaching the right thing in the first place. Yeah. I don't think that Brighton should have had to take this girl to the dance. No, I agree with you. I th- I- of like, you don't like this person. You're only making like, I have this a lot of, in, you have seen this in certain situations. So I'm an autistic person, but there's a lot of times that I kind of like go under the radar. I am not 
Like, people are typically surprised to hear that I am an autistic person. Um, There are other people who are more noticeably on the spectrum, and I will hear them share their opinions about those autistic people a lot, or be in situations where they are regularly mocking this person. And it's like, you don't like this person. Why don't you kick them out? Why don't you Mm. tell them to leave? And they're like, no, that would be mean. And be like, but it's nice to talk shit about and how much you hate them behind their back? And be like, just don't. Like, that's the bit that I don't understand. But like, oh, hey. And this is where I'm the autistic person. Yeah. And it goes to show like it shot her in the foot of her trying to be like, yeah, you should you should take this person that you don't like because she's going to be sad. and We have to feel sorry for her. Shot her in the foot because now she has to go on a date with them. Yeah. And so we're back in the Maxwell house and Fran comes down the stairs in this big fluffy dressing gown with a thermometer in her mouth and she's saying how she doesn't feel well and she's feeling ill and she doesn't think she's well enough to go on this date and absolutely nobody is believing it. Yeah, like Brighton calls out that she probably put her uh, thermometer under the light bulb. Brighton, please. 112, Miss (laughs) Fine. Cool. Which means she should be dead. Yeah, and she might be. Maybe maybe Fran actually did die in everything we're experiencing. She's just a ghost. She's just a ghost. Or she's, this is the... She's a ghost the rest of the time, the rest of the series. It's endorphins releasing in her brain at the moment of death. And she actually, when she got kicked out of the bridal shop, she actually got hit by a truck. And so the entire show is the last synapses in her brain firing. And she's in a sitcom. We've already discussed the possible fictitious meta-narrative of... of is this Gracie's world? Is this Gracie? <laughs> is this Gracie's world? Gracie as some kind of all-powerful Q figure or a uh, like a wonder, like Scarlet Witch esque figure who's manipulating reality around her? What if the reality is being manipulated around Fran because Fran is dying? These are last moments. And this is also part of the shared Pixar universe. <laughs> well, there's an engraving of Fran Fine on one of the wooden beams in Brave. And that's how it all ties in. Yeah. But Fran is pretending to be sick. No one is buying it. Maxwell and Cece come out and they get some muffins because it is the morning. It is lunch. And it is, is the bad. morning. And because they also have it with orange juice. Muffins are breakfast food. This is part of an ongoing discussion that Mandy and I have been having about how I don't believe... English muffins are breakfast muffins. Those are fine. It wasn't until I came to America that I experienced, here is a muffin. Here is a double chocolate chip muffin. Here is a blueberry muffin as a breakfast thing. Like, they've always been to me like snacky pastries, like a midday snack, lunchtime snack, afternoon snack. I've never associated those things with breakfast. But apparently... I'm broken. And I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable with who I am. But it's it's just one of those things that continues to, to pop up uh, throughout our, our miserable little lives. And I do think it's a lunchtime food. That's where I fall on it. It's, a it's too much food for lunch. You don't need a dessert for lunch. Anyway, so Maxwell comes and Fran is like, oh yeah, I'm going to work for you today. And he's like, no, you're, it's your day off. Yeah. Like, oh, but I made up a holiday. Uh, so now I'm going to make up for that. And there's a wonderful line of like, matzo day isn't real. <laughs> I wish matzo day was real. Yeah, that would uh, be good. Yeah, but it's fine. You don't, you don't need to work for us. And Brian's like, go on, you got yeah, your date. You got to go date. on your date. And Maxwell's like, have fun on your date. And Fran is still trying. She's like, oh, I got to take Gracie to ballet. And Maggie's like, no, I have to take Gracie to ballet because I got to go see yeah. the sexy ballet teacher. Yeah, I'm horny on Maine for the sexy ballet teacher. Oh, he is so cute and talented. You should see his impersonation of Liza Minnelli. <laughs> yeah, there's just going to be a lot of a lot of bits where he talks about his Liza Minnelli impression or how he is great at doing makeup, or how he lives with his roommate. His roommate Chuck. I don't know who's cuter, him or his roommate Chuck. Yeah, and uh, it ends with Fran needing to... S- Fran saying that... I'm gonna have to have a talk with her. Because apparently it's the 90s and she's never met a gay person she's- before. Your dad works in the theatre and you've never met a gay person before? You've not met a single queer person ever? Really? Ma- really? 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 And the fact that Fran has to have a talk with her or the fact that it is a gay person and not the fact that if he's living with a roommate, this is clearly a grown-ass man. Yeah, this is an entire-ass adult. Like, 
because if you just go on the fact of like, oh, well, I'm not expecting the guy to be doing anything, but like, well, it's harmless. It is a harmless. I have had crushes on thousands of gay people. Lance Bass was one of my first crushes. <laughs> so Fran is kind of trapped. She has to go on this date. And sure enough, we cut to uh, a a fancy restaurant. Fran shows up. I'm here to meet a man. Might I suggest happy hour at the Black Angus? <laughs> the greeter is not Alfred Hitchcock for obvious reasons, but did give off Alfred Hitchcock cameoing in his own shit vibes. Yeah. Like he had a very kind of Hitchcock shake, like Hitchcock with a ponytail. Yeah. I wonder if he's someone. Not so much that I'm going to look it up, but <laughs> but certainly he looked a bit Hitchcock-esque. Yeah, so it, the maitre d' is played by Jay Robinson, uh, who's an American actor specializing in character roles. He achieved his greatest fame playing Emperor Caligula in the film The Robe and its sequel oh. Demetrius and the Gladiators. Interesting. Now let's see if there's fucking anything that I have heard of. In his Imdib? There's, he played the priest and everything you always wanted to know about sex, but were afraid to ask. Perfect. Um, he was in something called Nightmare Honeymoon, Shampoo, um, The Man with Bogart's Face. I think Shampoo is a prequel to Hairspray. <laughs> it's a bad joke, never um, Ghost Ship. Oh, he was in Bram Stoker's Dracula. He was in Bram Stoker. Here's the thing. This guy's American. He was in Big Top Pee Wee. He was in Big Top Pee Wee. This guy is American. I actually didn't think he was his accent i thought was quite good it fooled me an english person yeah it seems like because he's one of those like older like classically trained where yeah. they just associate acting with you just do a british accent like yeah. kind of i mean <laughs> even the thing like daniel davis is kind of continuing that yeah that line yeah so Fran and Richard Kind are show to the table by the maitre d'. He whips out this weird thing, and I don't know what it's it is. It's what, like the, a... the, the kind of wooden bead yeah. thing? So that's something that, I guess, New York cab drivers put on their seats. Uh. So it was kind of a cab driver joke. Like, of course, a cab driver would bring wooden beaded seat covers to a date, right? Ha 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 ha. Yeah, that, exactly. He says he's got two, one for him, one for Fran. Fran says she doesn't sit on wooden balls on the first day. I'm reminded of my own singular exposed testicle, as often happens when we're watching the It would hurt on nanny. a wooden ball. It would hurt on a wooden ball. And so they start having a conversation. Versus wooden ball versus Ben ball. <laughs> I think my ball might win that one, actually. Would it hurt? Absolutely. Would I win? Almost certainly. I don't think you would. I have a tremendous amount of confidence in my testicles. <laughs> and not only do I stand by that statement, I think that's our episode title. <laughs> so they're talking, Richard's talking about how, and I know that that's not his, that's actually not his name. I'm going by the actor because it's Richard Kind. It's I Richard it was, Kind. Because I, I also Danny Needleman or something. Jeffrey Needleman. Jeffrey Needleman. Jeffrey Needleman, played by Richard Kind, playing Richard Kind, so it may as well be Richard Kind. Yeah. And he's talking about what he does with his free time, and what it's like being a cab driver, and how no one talks to you, and it, like one in five men pick their nose. I don't identify as male, so I'm I'm not statistically covered by that, but I do pick my nose. It's fine. It's perfectly natural. If you weren't, I don't know how else you get the stuff. You, I mean, you can be like, "Oh, well, you know." So I'm like, "I don't got enough air for it to get yeah, out." Yeah, you know what I'm gonna blow my nose? It blows past the goop. You just forget. You just do it privately. Yeah, just do it. You don't don't do it in a cab. Yeah, do it. Mine. Do it in your own home. I was do about to say, do it in my home. Come to my apartment. No. pick your nose and then leave. No, don't do that. Gonna do it. Do it in the bathroom and then get a little like. Like some toilet paper, yeah, you're so you fine. Kind of just clean, just clean yourself up. Don't Do leave think? that clean shit everywhere. Up. But one of the things he talks about is he has all these stories, and Fran says, "Well, you should write some of these stories down." And he says, "Actually, I have. Oh. I wrote a play." Oh, isn't that a coincidence? I happen to work for a Broadway bus driver. Because previously, and we've skipped past this, Cece has a therapist. Oh, yeah. Which we know. But Cece wants to show Chester Meffield her therapist's script because she's having a breakthrough, as opposed to what I had, which was a breakdown. Now, she wants to show the script as a thank you. Maxwell has a very strict rule. No friends, no relatives, no friends of friends. He won't look at their scripts. He refuses to do it. That's brought up in a previous scene. So that comes back here where Fran realizes, oh, 
I can't mention that I work for a Broadway producer because then Richard Kind will want me to have him read his script and I know Chester Mayfield isn't going to read the script. It is not going to happen, so I don't want to get the hopes up. The date goes as well as a date with a character played by Richard Kind can go. It is awkward. It is uncomfortable. They do the hustle in the middle of the restaurant, which actually was kind of funny to watch. He asks her to marry him. This happens at the very end of the it hustle. It does, it does. He drops to one knee. And when she says she's not going to, we spinny card wipe, I'm sure it has an actual name in After Effects or Audition or whatever the fuck you're using to edit, to him standing on the ledge of the building. What? Where is this restaurant that it's like high enough for a man to leap out of a window to his doom? I don't know New York. I've never been to New York. That changes in two weeks. We will be at Anime NYC. Very exciting. Yeah. But are there restaurants on, like, the fifth floor of a building, the sixth floor of a building? I don't know. I mean, it may, like, I'm sure there's places that have, like, rooftop places, but it's also not a rooftop place. Yeah. But it could, maybe, I don't, I don't know. Neither of us are sophisticated enough to have gone to a fancy restaurant in New York. Yeah, I feel like there's some restaurants, like, in like downtown LA that are like where they're like they're up like the we talked about the Olive Garden that was up that that is that is a very good point that Olive Garden was kind of it was up it was up it was hidden tucked away yeah it is not where you would expect to find an Olive Garden but I feel like if you were just like in the city and you just know like you would just know that there's a restaurant there I think if you were in the city you would go to a different Olive Garden (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I wasn't talking about in the city of Las Vegas and I wanted to go to that Olive Garden. I just meant if I lived if I lived in New York and there were restaurants in cities, how do you find them in those yeah. buildings? You just know that they are there because you looked on Yelp before. Yeah, and I know that like some hotels have like clubs and bars and restaurants on like upper levels of the hotel, like the hotels near the San Diego Convention Center, for example, have some restaurants that are up there. Yeah, but that's like a hotel. So but it could be. I mean, you can still go to like a hotel restaurant even if you're not staying in the hotel. I, I mean, I absolutely you can. I guess that is a, a thing that you can do. But is that a thing people in New York do? Let's find out in two weeks. Yeah. We'll find out. It seems like a good opportunity, by the way, to talk about that we will be in New York in two weeks. Well, I figured that was going to be the ending. I, I mean, it is definitely going to be the ending. But I feel like, seeing as we brought it up so much, where will you, you be? You brought it up. I didn't bring it up if you want to know where i will be you have to listen to the rest of this goddamn episode that is spoilers <laughs> i you're not i'm not letting you get away listen to half an episode and then finding out where i'll be in two weeks yeah if you if you <laughs> you want to see mandy's tits you listen to the whole episode <laughs> sorry i need you to repeat what you said because it was nonsense <laughs> i said if you want to see Mandy's tits, you listen to the whole episode. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so Richard Kind's going to jump. He's going to jump and he's talking about how miserable his life is and how he's never, like, he, he, he's never done anything but be a cabbie and friends is, but you've got that play that you've written. And he says, well, I'm never going to sell it. In this city, you have to know somebody. I'm never going to be able to sell my script. And so Fran runs all the way home, apparently, uh, which is a thing that they do on this show a lot, apparently. Yeah. Because the sets are right next to each other, literally. And uh, she runs into Maxwell's office and says, Hey, my date's not going great. He is going to kill himself. What are you going to do? Hey, could you come and read his play so he doesn't die? Because then I have to pay for my own lobster bisque. <laughs> so Maxwell does, inexplicably, he agrees. He, he decides he's going to go off and do that. Maxwell, he comes and he reads the script and he's sitting there at the screen... At a table, reading the script while Richard Kind is standing on the ledge, head poked through the window, eating soup. And uh, there's a great bit where he's finished the soup. Fran asks, do you want some some dessert, some sweets? And he says, uh, no, no, gotta watch my weight. What's the matter? You're afraid you're going to make a bigger hole? <laughs> All right, what do you got? It's... Very good, because then, like, she's given a list, like, oh, yeah, we got some of this stuff, some of this, Ooh, looks, this looks good, and she puts, takes a bit of chocolate cake. He's like, oh, is there any chocolate cake? She's like, no. And I, I want to stress this again. This is, I know we keep, like, hitting this beat, but that, again, that the physicality of, like, like, it's very Lucille Ball. Yeah. Like, I, 
I, I know that we keep harping on that fact, but there, Fran is very good at that same kind of physical comedy that, that Lucille Ball was known for. Like, it really is... It, I think that's the thing that has surprised me the most about rewatching this, is not just that the writing is often, more often than not, as sharp as it is, but that Fran Drescher is a legitimately good comedy actress. Yeah. So Maxwell finishes reading the script and he loves it. He's going to option it. Fran and Richard Kind high five. Richard Kind plummets to his death. <laughs> yeah. Goodbye, Richard Kind. He does not. They they did give a little I'm okay at the end, which I, I do want to know, uh, was that in the original script or was that kind of added in post? Like, hey, this got a little too dark. Can we just add a little I'm okay at the end? I don't think it was added in post because they definitely react to him saying he's all right. But I wonder if it was like a network standards and practices thing where they said, well, you can't just kill this man. That's too dark. Yeah. We've got to know he's okay. Can he say, I'm all right? No, he just fell to his death. Right. But what if he didn't do that? Well, if he didn't do that, it's a different script, Kenneth. Like, what do we, what, what, what can't he just, I don't know, land on some garbage? What can he land, just land on some garbage? Yeah, why couldn't... It's New York. You can just land... You know what? That's the joke that you make. Thank God we live in New York, city of garbage. Don't you think that's offensive, Kenneth, to the people who live in New York? We are filming this in Los Angeles. I was say to the people who live in garbage. <laughs> yeah, that's New York. That's people who live in New York. Don't you think that's to the Oscar, the Grouches of the world. To the Oscars, the Oscars of Grouch. Do you not think they will be hurt when we say all New Yorkers live in garbage? To which Kenneth says, no, because you can say that. You can sing it to the, the, the tune of the Ninja Turtles theme. And they'll go, okay, cool. And so that made it into the episode. The end. Will you sing it to the Ninja Turtles theme? All New Yorkers live in garbage. All New Yorkers live in garbage. All New Yorkers live in garbage. You live in a trash pile in New York. The Turtles are also from New York. So it's full circle. Full circle, Warrior's Gate, State of Decay. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And just poop garbage. When the evil shredder attacks, Richard Kind won't cut him no slack. That's what Ninja Turtles is about. It's Richard Kind fighting crime. Okay. It's called Richard Crimed. Anyway. It's not called Ninja Turtles, it's called Richard Crimed. No, I've just renamed it just now. I'm going to send a letter to uh, the creators. I'm going to send You know what? I'll write a nice email to Nickelodeon who own the rights to Ninja Turtles and say, I've got a pitch. It's what if it's there are, not Ninja Turtles at all. What if there are zero Ninja Turtles, but there is one Richard Kind? He of Spin City fame. What if he was fighting crime? He can wear whatever color eye, ba- eye bandana you like, whatever color mask. Does he have a shell? You'll have to ask him. I don't know. I don't know what. I've only ever seen him in a, in a large jacket, so I can't comment R slash E his physicality. But. Given his posture, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to judge. It's his body, his choice. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, he survives. Maxwell options the script. Brighton has his date with Gretchen. They go to the dance. Brighton doesn't want to go. But he is wearing what looks like one of Fran's vests. It does look like one of It looks like an early season one vest. It is not, but it's very Fran's colours. And I choose to interpret that as a... Brighton has dressed as himself, but you can see the, that his decisions in this instance have been in part influenced by Fran. Yeah. And Brighton doesn't want to ask out the girl he has no interest in, but has been rewarded because when the door is opened, when she arrives, she is a little cootie patootie. Yes, she is. She is very cute. Uh, they did her hair better, and uh, and they took off her glasses, and then magically she is a, she is a gorgeous child. Her voice is lower in this scene as well. Like she's <laughs> pitching lower. She kind of she was kind of pitching low the entire time. Like she mm. had a very I mean I and I liked her as a child act yeah. actor of like she played very very low and yeah. kind of deadpan, which I think because they wanted her to be like nasally and kind yeah. of like like sinusy and. It just worked, but now with like the with all the hair and the makeup and the get up, like now it's like a sultry kind of thing. Yeah, it is a middle. It is it's weird ri- calling a middle schooler uh, a sultry. The audience goes ooh, and then you hear one woo in the background. It's like this is a child, sir or madam yeah. or variation thereupon. Like this is and this I, is a younger d- girl. And I do want to make like 
she is she looks cute and it's like yeah. if you are if you are of that age it's like ooh i look sexy but it's it's she is not overly done up she is no. like inappropriate for her age looks very cute hair is kind of loose and curly but pretty it's not done in like you commented on the the, the slightly too tight pigtails mm-hmm. there's a hint that fran may have had something to do with this because when brighton comments on how it's a miracle or it might have been niles who comments on how it's a miracle and then and uh, Fran comments on like, See, you did the right thing and God smiled on you. God, Maybelline, and half a box of Kleenex. It suggests that maybe she had a hand in this. Oh, yeah. Well, it was the, in the Kleenex is specifically in reference to she, her chest. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, it's the, because she kind of like makes a motion and it is like stuffing, stuffing her bra. I did not catch that at all. Yeah. I'm so I think she ignorant. said, ha- like specifically it was half a box of Kleenex. There we go. Of, oh, she is, uh, she's real stuffed up right now. Can I also say that the dress that Gretchen... Again, I want to acknowledge her name is not Gretchen. But the dress that she's in, I like that dress. I like the design of it, the pattern of it, the the the, the gold accents on the black. It's very nice, very tasteful. Yeah. That's it. I just wanted to comment on a dress. Yeah, it's a cute, it's a cute little dress. Yeah. And then that's the end of the episode. Brighton and Gretchen go on, uh, go off to the dance. We get a credit sequence, I guess, like a blooper of of the entire main cast doing the hustle. Yeah. <laughs> because why the fuck not? Why not? You've paid for the music rights, although I will point out it is a sounder, like it is not like the actual song. It's like a synth cover yeah. um, with like synthetic instruments. But everyone's doing the hustle, like they've clearly taken the time to learn it. But Madeline Zima, you can see, is like watching Fran and is kind of copying what she does, like a, like a half second out of step, uh, as if to imply that they didn't bother to teach the young child how to do the the hustle because she can just copy everyone else in the moment. This one of those moments where we've talked before, you've mentioned specifically that Madeline Zima didn't like her time on the show because she was treated like a piece of furniture. And this feels like a very visible representation of that. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how much of it, like, did they actually do it or versus how much like people who just know the hustle because it's a bunch of adults brighton's actor was a dancer yeah so probably knows it and like it's literally just here's a small child and everyone seems like oh yeah you know that we all know the hustle i don't know but brighton being a dancer i think is is one thing but i don't know that the, the i think the hustle is very much like a dance floor like like a like going out for a dance like a venue kind of dance like the macarena was to Mm. us in the 90s i don't know that that's something that you're necessarily learning in a dance class Um, well i just mean in the sense of like oh oh, he he would be like because he's younger than everyone like why 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 malinzy wouldn't know but he would it's like well he's he's a dancer so he would have like yeah no various things and then everybody else is just an adult and they're gonna learn it from like yeah just out the same way that you would learn the Macarena. Yeah. And even if Benjamin Salisbury doesn't know the hustle, his background as a dancer probably means he can pick it up quicker. Mm. If they just like if they just like ran through it two or three times before they filmed. Yeah, because I mean it could have been a thing of just like because they had that sequence before where they are doing the hustle and doing it. Yeah. And then everyone's just kind of in the backstage of like, oh, the hustle is happening, and then everyone's like, Oh yeah, we all know the hustle, and then do the hustle. But yeah, that's how the episode ends. Uh we get the various end credit cards, Sony Tele television etc etc and uh, then it took us back to the dvd menu and let us choose a different episode which we didn't do um that's how the episode ends yeah. uh what did you think of this one eh. Eh. it's it's a very there episode like it feels like you can tell when they are going to have like an end credits thing that's just going to be like completely unrelated yeah. nothing of you don't have a lot going on here yeah this is kind of the it's kind of a sort of plot of the episode that like literally any sitcom could do this and it is it is the kind of episode that like i know and i recognize and i feel both ways about it of like the the moral of the story is oh sometimes it is good to bully people because they are annoying as shit no that is the that is the entire premise of it yeah but i also like we're also not taught anything different of like okay well in this universe richard kind's character is still an annoying piece of shit yeah what am i supposed to do with that yeah like it's not really a thing that is so it's just it's an episode that's there there's like some nice bits to it um, you can kind of tell that this was like 
an episode like are we are assuming that this was probably an episode from season one that just kind of like didn't get put yeah. out until season two uh this is just an episode that got pushed out yeah i'm inclined to agree this episode is fine it's not a bad episode by any measure but mm. i wouldn't categorize it as an episode as a good episode it's just on i think the thing that carries me through this episode for the most part is the fact that Richard Kind is so good at being this type of character yeah. um, that that on its own is entertaining to watch. But I think like the basic beats of the story are, are kind of predictable. And especially if we're assuming that this is a an episode that was actually produced towards the tail end of season one, you can see we just need to get an episode out this week. You can yeah. see them like we're doing this story beat that leads to this story beat because it is... It may not necessarily be the smartest thing. It may not necessarily be the best thing, but we know it's a thing we can write, we can do, we can build a restaurant set, we can get Richard Kind, we can have, you know, 24 frame film stock behind the, the video of Fran and Richard Kind and Brighton in the, in the cab, which bo- bothered me. It's the, the wrong film speed. It's bad, bad composition. It's bad it is, green it, screen. It, 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 it is so slow. They're going like two miles an hour. And it looks slower because of the frame rate as well. Like, it's one of those things where if they were shooting on film, it would be fine. If they were shooting on film and they had a video background, that would also be fine. Because if the show's shooting at 24, the video is going to get slowed down to 24 as well. Other sitcoms have done that. Because this is shot on video, when they use a film backdrop for when they're in a car, it is super obvious. Yeah. And it doesn't look good. It is it is clearly an episode that if they produced it during season one, then it got held back because they weren't maybe they weren't happy with it. They weren't happy with it, but they st- still needed to air at some point. And you can kind of get away with like dumping a bad episode like that, kind of you know at the beginning of or midway through a you know the, a following season. Star Trek Voyager did the same thing. There's like three episodes they produced for the first season that aired during the second season and they're all episodes that the production absolutely hated and were not happy with at all mm-hmm. but they made them and they got to wear them so they yeah it's fine yeah like they yes yeah. it's a very there like you're you know what it's going to be yeah and part of it is like it it is very much a richard kind vehicle yeah. but because of that you know how the episode is going to go because everybody else kind of reacts the way that you expect people to react when it's a Richard Kind episode. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is I don't know, I don't I genuinely cannot tell you because I was eight at the time how much of a known quantity Richard Kind was in the uh, in the early early nineties because I know that kind of when I think of Richard Kind I think predominantly about Sin City. I think mm-hmm. about his again his guest spots on scrubs his yeah. voice work because he does is, have a distinctive it's noted voice. in here so when he is shown like because again they very clearly show him in the cabin yeah. there's not applause like yeah. he, he is not treated as a special yeah. guest he is just a guy that it's, they have here it's another little jimmy marsden thing where we've got richard kind before he's richard kind yeah so this is like in many ways this is this this could be perceived as kind of a prototypical take on the type of characters that he goes on to play that are similar to to Jeffrey Needleman. Yeah, and if anything, now it's kind of like, it kind of gets into that Seinfeld effect of it is kind of worse when you watch it later because everything has ripped it off so yeah, much that it yeah. feels very tired. Yeah, it's it probably fell a lot fresher in 1994 than it does today where we've seen Richard Kind do variations of this over the last, like, 30 plus years. Yeah. I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed watching him, like, because he's good at what he does. Yeah, it's it's no Maggie the model. Like, it's definitely something of, like, yeah. I mean, I've had this episode on before. It's it's an episode that is there. It's a screensaver. It's yeah. just something to have on in the background. But it, particularly for, like, doing it as a podcast where you have to sit and think about it, of, like, I really don't like thinking about the implications yeah. of this episode. Of, like, I know Fran would have been one of my bullies. Yeah. There's no, the- there's no, but I would prefer not to, like, there's plenty of people who go about my day of like, oh yeah, there's like, oh yeah, you, I bet you were so interesting in high school. We would have been friends in high school. Like, no, we would not have. Yeah. But people grow, people change. You are in a different situation where you are no longer forced into these hierarchies where you don't need to be doing that shit. Yeah. So that's fine. But I don't like the reminder. Yeah. It's one of those, you want, with characters, particularly like characters that we like, like Fran, if you're going to think about having interacted with them in school at all, then you re- you want to think of them as the cool person who, like, distracted you from that shit, maybe, sh- like, here, try on this top, 
you know, let's have fun, let's just, let's be, you know, someone who's kind of there to kind of distract you from the bullshit. And this episode is one of those episodes that, as you said, it reminds me that Fran probably yeah. would have been. And I mean, I will take it over, like, the thing now, I feel like if this episode were made now, this is a common thing of because mental health is a big, like, yeah. ha- talking point now. And everyone wants to say, oh, yeah, I was very bullied and depressed in... Uh, sad and had no friends in high school and then you find out that they absolutely were a bully that they were that they had one person that didn't like them and so they made an entire story about how they were perfectly bullied but no you were a bully and i feel like that would be if i wanted to rewrite this episode and make it like how would i make more interesting that it would be that like fran playing into it like oh like you should you should be with that girl i was that girl because nobody liked me for my things and they probably like no, you were the bully. Yeah. Actually, you know, a show that actually did that very thing is 30 Rock. 30 yes. Rock did that thing where uh, Liz Lemon talks about how she was constantly bullied by um, by all the girls around her. And then she goes to her reunion and realizes that actually everyone was trying to reach out to her and be friends with her. And she was being so cruel. I kind of want to watch that episode. Yeah. <laughs> but like... Like that's... it is a fantastic like reworking yeah. of how that was. It's so good. In a way that this episode sadly is not. Again, this episode, everyone's kind of on autopilot but not in a bad way like uh daniel davis is still brilliant as 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 niall there's a lot of very there's a lot of cute little bits yeah. like i wanted to remember the bit with the underwear uh because it's like oh this is a cute little a little bit yeah and it led to a wonderful conversation about like, my testicles yeah and even the like the continuing thing of like maggie not realizing that the dance teacher that she has a crush on is very likely queer. Yeah, I don't want to say that he's just gay. He could be like, he could be anywhere on the spectrum. He could, in the nineties, it's gay because that's the only yeah. thing that they can say on television. Yeah, but like even that's just like because this is a like that sort of joke is something I like because the the joke is you don't realize that there is a community of people who do not revolve around wanting to fuck you. Yeah. Hey, what are we watching next week? Uh, next week, we are watching season two, episode three, Everybody Needs a Bubby Sometimes. Fran's grandmother moves in and begins giving Maggie advice about sex. Very cool. Sex advice from an old lady. Never Ooh. fails. Well, that was one we can definitely look forward to. With all that said, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you like the show, if you enjoy what we do, do please tell your friends, your family, your enemies, your doctor, your enemies to lovers, slow burn, 4,000 words uh, about the show. Itty bitty independent podcasts just like ours live and die by word of mouth and we would really appreciate yours. Mandy, where can people find you on social media? Uh, You can find me at Mandy Quesadilla on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, you can also find me in person at Anime NYC November 19th through 21st. Um, that's at the Javits Center in New York City. I am going to be there with Sentai Filmworks promoting one of my favorite anime series, Lupin the Third. Um, I am going to be cosplaying Fujiko Mine there, who is a character who is like Fran Drescher in that it's just big hair. <laughs> it's just uh, big hair and true neutral uh, slightly like chaotic neutral. You definitely have a type, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> high femme. Um, but yeah, it'll be a fun time. They're doing um, a cast Q&A on the Saturday with the English cast for the dub of the Loop on the Third Part 6 series. Um, they are also doing a sort of, they're calling it a, uh, a jewel heist at the booth. I don't know a lot of details about it. I just know that it's is you have to seize a jewel within a certain amount of time, and then you get a reward, and you're like going against Loop on the Third, uh, which makes sense if you know anything about that series. That is uh, not <laughs> like the nanny at all. It's a very different show. Yeah, it's about like thieves and stuff. Yeah. it's nice. Check it out. It's a good, good show. I I did not know what Loop on the Third was before Mandy and I started dating, and now it is one of my favorite things in the world. I am not kidding. I have put on part the part four, part five 
dubs while I've worked. I'm yeah. not even kidding. They're good. It's such a good show. You can find out more information about that on Mandy's Instagram, on Mandy's socials. Uh, I am also on the Instagrams and the Twitters. I'm at Ben Padden. You can find Out on Her Fanny on social media as at Out on Her Fanny. We're Out on Her Fanny on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can find the podcast website where you can also listen to the show, which you're doing right now, at oofcast.com. O-O-H-F cast.com. Anything else? Anything I've left out? Oh, there's there's still Fran Drescher Ahigal. There's still Fran Drescher Ahigal. It exists. Is that it the exists. Tumblr? That's the Tumblr. Fran Drescher Ahigal.tumblr.com. Have you been updating it? No. No, it's just the I one might. picture. I might, though. I think you have to. Yeah, I guess Because, I mean, do. I think that that one picture from where from uh, where she realizes what's smaller than everyone else means, that's not Ahigal, but I think that definitely counts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, friendresh at ahegal.tumblr.com and out on her family. Tell your friends about the show. We we love hearing from our listeners. If you are enjoying the show, please tweet at us. Please comment on our Instagram. It's very, very exciting. Other than that, I want to say thank you very much for listening to Out on Her Fanny. A podcast about the nanny. I've been Ben. I've been Mandy. And yes, we, we do, do know, know it, it means, means vagina. vagina.